Hey, church. My name is Ryan Coatney. All my friends call me Coat. So I'm going to say, hey, church. Will you say, hey, Coat? Hey, church. Thank you. It's good to be here. I miss First Baptist Church. I really, really do. And this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, just a tiny, tiny sliver of Galatians chapter 1. So when you get there, stand with me. We will read it together, and then we'll dig right in. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Just the first little sliver here. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. This is God's word. Let's receive it as a blessing. Y'all grab a seat. Like I said, we're going to dig right in. I've been up to a lot of things since I left First Baptist Church. I think my last year here was 2012. So if you've come since 2012, I probably don't know you, but I'd love to meet you. And those of you I do know, love you, miss you, glad to be back. Thank you, Lyle, for taking a week off so I could come and hang out. Since I've left, I've got two kids, one more coming, like any time, and we are trying to figure this thing out, and I guess... You know, Lord just keeps on giving us more hoping that we'll learn our lesson. But here's the deal. My three-year-old has been having so much fun watching Paw Patrol. You guys know Paw Patrol? And that show is super, super cool. And what happens is whenever the Paw Patrol is about to zoom into action, the puppies, their names are Chase, Marshall, Zuma, Sky, Rocky, and Rubble, and they're awesome, and whenever the master trainer, whatever, his name's Ryder, has a mission for them, they zoom down from this tower, and they leap into action in their vehicles, and so they'll be doing that thing, and all of a sudden, the guy will yell out, Chase, and Chase will zoom into action, and then Marshall, and Marshall zooms into action, and then when all of the names of the pups have been called, my little boy will yell his name, Farmer, and then jump off the couch to help with the mission. And here's what it makes me think about. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to be that certain who you are and what you're supposed to do? Wouldn't it be amazing to know without a doubt, like absolutely certain who you are and what you're supposed to do? Because that's what the Paw Patrol pups have, and apparently that's what my little boy has. He knows he's a farmer, and he's got to help with his mission. That's what it's about. And it would be amazing to share that certainty. It would be amazing to have that same unshakable understanding of who we are and what our life is supposed to be about. And when we read this passage from Paul, we're hearing from a man who had that. We're hearing from a man who understood exactly what his mission was, who understood exactly who God had called him to be, and exactly what God, God had called him to do. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's certainty. Paul knows exactly who he is. Now, here's the deal. Paul grew up. As a Jewish person living away from Jerusalem. It's called the diaspora. The Jewish people who didn't live in Jerusalem. And it's kind of like me as a Kentucky fan who lives in Tennessee. You see, I understand all what it's about to be a Kentucky fan. But I also have learned a lot about what it's like to live in Tennessee. 
And I've learned that when you live in Tennessee, you get used to losing on opening. No, I'm sorry. Just, just, I'm sorry. But he knew a lot about what it meant to be a Jewish person. He understood the sacred books of the Jewish people. He understood the culture of the Jewish people. He understood the religious life of the Jewish people. But he also understood what it meant to live among Greeks or Gentiles. He understood what it meant to not live close to his home. He understood what it meant to be a stranger. And he understood what it meant to live among people who don't believe the same thing as him. So it makes perfect sense that God would call Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, doesn't it? Because he had the perfect background for that. And when we look at the whole book of Galatians, what happens is that Paul is bringing the gospel to bear in the lives of people who did not grow up necessarily as Jewish folks, And who are hearing about this God and this gospel for the first time. But Paul was a very, very influential missionary. He planted tons of churches and word started to get out about what Paul was doing. And he was planting this church among Gentiles. And people started to hear that Paul was teaching them that they could be accepted by God without having to prove themselves. That they could be accepted by God without having to be good enough. That they could be accepted by God without having to do all the Jewishy things. And so these very committed Jewishy people started following Paul around. And whenever he would plant a church and preach the gospel of acceptance by God on the basis of Jesus Christ, they would sneak in and they would say, yes, but you also need to obey this law. You also need to have some Jewish things in your life. You also need to accept circumcision. And they would come in and they would stir up lots of trouble right behind Paul. Every time he would leave, here would come these people called the Judaizers, trying to stir up a mess and trying to undercut the gospel that Paul had so meticulously and carefully planted in this church. And so normally... When Paul writes a letter to one of his churches, he uses a standard greeting. And he says all the things he says here. And then after that, he says, I thank God. I'm deeply thankful. Oh, I give thanks in all my prayers. You guys know the routine in all the letters of Paul, right? Not here. Instead, when Paul gets done with the part we just read, he says, I'm astonished. I can't believe you're turning away from the gospel so quickly. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? Why are you walking away from acceptance by God on the basis of Jesus Christ alone and beginning to depend on yourselves instead? He's not thankful. He's devastated. He's angry. And in his own words, he's astonished. Why would anybody choose this message of works over this message of acceptance by God on the basis of Jesus Christ alone. He's just devastated. You see, Paul's entire life orientation, every decision that he makes, every relationship that he forms, 
Every message that he preaches is shaped by the gospel, by the truth that we can be accepted by God only on the basis of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Paul's life is shaped by that truth. That's why when he tells who he is, he says, I'm an apostle. In other words, his entire identity is his role in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, well, I'm a tent maker. He doesn't say, well, I'm somebody who grew up in a very influential family. He doesn't say, well, I'm somebody who studied with the best known tutor in the Roman world. He doesn't say, well, I'm somebody who has all these credentials in Judaism. He doesn't say, well, I'm somebody who's accomplished all this stuff. No, he says, I'm an apostle. I'm someone sent on mission by God. He might as well say I'm a Christian, right? Because Paul's entire life orientation is determined by the gospel. In other words, his identity, everything he believes about himself is based on what he knows about Jesus. It's his identity. And wouldn't it be amazing to have absolute, unshakable confidence in who you are and what you're called to do? Paul has that. Now, here's the deal. When he's writing Galatians, he's just on about this idea of being accepted by God only on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. He is livid. He's emotional. He's not holding back. And he's writing this to people who are seeking to find their identity in their obedience. They're seeking to find their identity in their newfound Jewishness. So he's kicking them where it hurts. Right? And he's saying, look, I know that you now see yourself as significant because of your keeping of this law. I know that you now see yourself as significant before God because you've accepted circumcision. I know that you now see yourself as significant because of all the Jewishy things that you've decided to do. But what I'm telling you is that none of that amounts to anything before God. I remember... <laughs> My little brother and I, if we would sleep in late, my stepdad would come in and say, neither one of you, never going to mount to a hill of beans. <laughs> we would sleep in late. And it's like this idea of how do we ever amount to anything has been prominent in my mind ever since. And it's been a journey to get to the point where, like, I have completely given up on ever amounting to anything. And I hope that at the end of this message you can say the same thing because, look, whether or not we amount to anything means nothing before God. He sees us and he sees the love and the achievement of Jesus Christ. And it's on that basis and that basis alone that he accepts us as one of his own. And Paul knows that. And therefore he has unshakable confidence in who he is. And there's three different things that Paul holds on to when it comes to his identity. The first one is this. It's approval. Approval. He talks about being an apostle, someone who's related to God. And he says it's not by men and not through men, but it's through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And what he's saying is that Jesus Christ is his only mediator. He doesn't need any human being to stand between him and God. He doesn't need anyone to show him the way to God except for Jesus Christ. In other words, he has 
acceptance. He has approval from God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world and two kinds of people in this room. There's a kind of person who gets really excited when you hear that you can be accepted by God without having to prove yourself to him. You get really excited when you hear that you can be approved by God without having to prove yourself to him, without having to stack up in his eyes. There's the kind of person who hears that is really good news. And you think, man, well, I'm really glad to hear that because I'm never going to stack up on my own. I'm really glad to hear that because you should see the list of sins that I committed just this week. I'm really glad to hear that because I can't seem to get it together. I'm really glad to hear that because I'm never going to mount to a hill of beans, right? And for us, It's really good news that Jesus has made a way for us to be accepted. But then there are other people, and I'm looking at the number of people in this room. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that some of you are this kind of person for whom that's really bad news. You're like, well, hey, I actually feel pretty good about my resume. I actually feel pretty good about the percentage of Sundays that I make at the church. I actually feel pretty good about my career. I feel pretty good about the job that I've done as a parent. I feel pretty good about the kind of person that I am. I feel pretty good about my record. I would like for God to love me because of what I've done. I would like for God to accept me because I'm awesome. I'm pretty cool with God just lining this up and picking the best ones. I think I'm in. And when you hear me say that God loves you because of Jesus, God accepts you because Jesus is good enough, that God welcomes you in because Jesus is good enough, it doesn't sound like good news to you. In fact, you get a little bit angry. In fact, you think, well, I don't understand why God wouldn't just choose me because of me. I don't understand why God wouldn't just forgive me because of me. I don't understand why God wouldn't just look evaluate my record, and accept me because I'm good enough. And the reason is pretty simple, because you're not. (laughs) And it doesn't, I mean, it's not too hard to prove to you, even if you don't accept Scripture's description of what a life that's pleasing to God looks like. Maybe you have your own description. And you know what? All of you know you haven't even lived up to that. All of you know you haven't even perfectly fulfilled your own idea of what it means to live a good life. So even if you don't believe the Bible, you can believe yourself, right? And if you can't measure up in your own eyes, how could you possibly measure up in the eyes of the God of the universe who knows all things? He doesn't just know the sin you commit. He knows the sin that you wish you had committed because of your wicked heart. We're that wicked. We regret not sinning sometimes, don't we? What's wrong with us? Well, what's wrong is we love ourselves more than we love God. And that's been true of every human being since the very beginning. We love ourselves more than we love God. And it's not just ourselves. It's not that simple. It's not that clear. It's not that obvious. But it's certain things about ourselves that we love more than God. And because we love these things more than God... They have the ability to boss us around, to shove us around, tell us how to live our lives, tell us what decisions to make. Let me give you a few examples. So, for one, success. 
right? We, we love the possibility of being successful, or we just love that moment when we can say that, I did it, right? We love that moment when we can say, man, I accomplished this thing, and I love that too, but it doesn't define who we are. It can't define who we are. It can't determine our identity and our value. It can't be how we find our acceptance with God. Others of us, it's power. Power. Like we like to be the person who can make the phone call to tip the scales in somebody's favor, right? We like to be the person that someone comes to for a favor. We like to be the person who can make things happen, who can change the situation. We like that power. And it makes us feel like somebody, if we have a little bit of power, if we can make the recommendation, right? Or if we can pull the veto on the project. And it really makes us feel like we matter because we get to look. That doesn't make you matter. All that's going to be swept away. All flesh is grass. And one day it's all going to dry up and be burned up. And it will amount to nothing. Others of us, we love being thought of as good. We want people to think of us as always choosing the morally good, the ethically good thing. And we want people, when they think of us, to think about someone who is just good. The problem is, if we love being seen as good, then as soon as the world, the culture, our friends start changing their mind about what is good, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start changing our mind about what to do. And that desire to be seen in a certain light is going to push us away from the gospel. All of a sudden, we want to tweet the things that the world thinks are good. All of a sudden, we want to do the things that the world says are ethical. All of a sudden, we're reshaping our entire way of thinking about right and wrong around what the world says instead of what the gospel says. So the desire to be seen as good actually moves us away from actually being good. Isn't that crazy? If we love being good more than we love God. Others of us love being unique. You want to be the only one. I've had this problem trying to think of a baby name, trying to find a baby name nobody's ever thought of before. And there's not one, unless it's like something really crazy. You wouldn't believe the names I've mentioned to my wife. But how do we get free from this stuff? Well, Paul says the only way to be free of it is for us to recognize that our approval with God comes not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Because it's only when we recognize that that we can set aside an agenda of attaining our own approval Attaining our own significance and just accept the approval that's on offer from God on no basis at all. It's not just approval. We can also have significance on no basis at all. Significance. Look, I grew up um, playing music and in my hometown, in my school, I was far and away the best musician in my school, Right? And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that just to kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of what I want to say. Far and away, the best musician in the school. Everybody knew it. Ryan Kelton is the best musician around here, best, best guitar player, best French horn player, all that stuff. Well, then I went to be a music major. And when I was a music major, all of a sudden, 
I'm surrounded by hundreds of people who also are the best musician in their town. Who also were the best guitar player, the best French horn player, the best whatever in their town. And so all of a sudden, look, I got better and better at music because I was in this environment. But I got less and less significant as a musician. You see that? More and more talented, more and more well-trained, but less and less significant. Because no longer am I the guy. No longer am I the one. I'm one of hundreds who are also really, really talented. And here's the thing about significance. Significance has nothing to do with how good you are. has nothing to do with how talented you are, how successful you are. Significance has everything to do with who cares about that. And so I was getting better and better as a musician, but my significance was getting lesser and lesser. And here's the thing, if you want significance, if you want to matter, then you need to belong to someone. You need to belong to someone whose welcome to you is not based on how you stack up, how you measure up, how you compare to others. Because you're eventually going to meet somebody who's a whole lot better than you at whatever it is that matters most to you. But in Christ, we have a significance that's unmovable because we might, we might mess up. We might have an awesome track record. Even so, remember, that doesn't give you significance unless you also belong to someone. And you can belong to God through Jesus Christ. You might be a sinner, but check this out. You're his sinner. You might be a failure, but you're his failure. I can promise you this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he's not going to fix all your problems. In fact, some of them may get worse. But you will love being loved by God. You will love the unconditional welcome that is yours in Christ Jesus. 100%. And if we don't have this, if we don't have this approval and this significance, that comes through Christ alone, we're going to be riding an emotional roller coaster all the time. Because every time things are going well, we're going to be thinking that we're awesome. Every time things are going poorly, we're going to be down in the dumps thinking that we don't matter anymore. I remember in 2010, we were having an amazing Kentucky basketball season. And we were in the middle of our uh, our youth weekend. I, think, I guess it was GLOW then too. And Kentucky was in the NCAA tournament. And I was not able to watch the game because we were so busy that day. And I was getting text messages about the Kentucky-West Virginia game. And it was the most depressing few hours of text messages of my life. I could barely continue the glow weekend because Kentucky lost that game. You can ask Jeff. There was a time in my life when if Kentucky lost a basketball game, I was insufferable for weeks. Weeks, because I could not tolerate a Kentucky basketball loss without just losing my joy, losing my entire sense of purpose in the world. It just totally blew me up. And that's insane, right? And you guys probably have a lot more sensible reasons to get down in the dumps. You guys have a lot more sensible reasons to ride the roller coaster of life. But it's the same roller coaster. And unless you know... That you're accepted by God on the basis of something that is 100% static and fixed in the universe. 
namely the achievement of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the accomplishment of Jesus Christ on the cross. Unless you've got that, you're going to be riding the roller coaster, wondering if you matter. Every single time something's going your way, woo, God loves me. And every single time it's not. Oh, does he love me? I don't know. Do I love myself? I doubt it. So we need to be accepted on the basis of Christ alone. It gives us approval. It gives us significance. And you know what? It also gives us a family. Have y'all ever heard of Lizzo? Y'all know who Lizzo is? Lizzo blows my mind. Like Lizzo, Lizzo's got me thinking all the time. Like what is Lizzo up to? And if you don't know who Lizzo is, she's this pop culture figure. She's a musician. She's a singer. She's all kinds of things. But her big message is that that Lizzo's a queen. I guess that's like the main message. Lizzo's awesome. But but what she wants to help people with is body image. So she considers herself to be someone who is both big and beautiful. And she wants to help people who struggle with their body image because they think they're too big. They think they don't look like the people in the magazines. And they wonder if they're, if they're worthy of affection, if they're worthy even of like a life because they don't look like that. And as far as that goes, Lizzo is like awesome. Go get it, girl. You know, be, help people. But I've been thinking about what Lizzo is doing because here's the deal. She's trying to do this by becoming as popular as possible. And so what Lizzo will do is she'll like post a picture of herself with hardly any clothes on to make a point that if just because you don't look like the magazine doesn't mean you're not beautiful enough to be running around naked, right? It's really weird because then, watch this, she's trying to prove that what people say about you doesn't determine who you are. And she's trying to prove that by getting people to say that. She matters. Do you see that? Isn't that weird? So she's trying to prove that it doesn't matter what society says about your body. And she's trying to prove that by getting people to say something about her body. And so I'm for her. I'm like, Lizzo, you've got the right. You want to help people. But you can't have it both ways. You can't say that your body and what people say about it doesn't determine who you are. And then at the same time, live your life trying to get people to say something in particular about your body. You're just defeating yourself. And there's a better way. It, it, like it, it pains me deep inside. I want to just give Lizzo a big hug and be like, you are amazing. And I want you to know you're right. Your value is not based on what people say about your body. Your value is not based on what people think about you at all. But your value is 100% static, and it is fixed in the fact that you're created by God. And Jesus Christ has seen you as valuable enough to give his life for you. And now just put your trust in him, and you don't even have to worry about having a bunch of followers on Instagram to prove it. You can just trust them. And we're all doing the same. We're all like Lizzo in a lot of ways. And we're trying to make ourselves into somebody by some path or another, aren't we? And we're trying to be a good enough parent, we're trying to be a good enough pastor, trying to be a good enough husband, trying to be a good enough provider, trying to be a good enough Christian, trying to be a good enough church member. 
man, and all the time, God is like, why are you so worried about being good enough? Didn't I already tell you? It's never going to happen. And I don't care. I love you because of Jesus. And when I look at you, I see Jesus. You're welcome because of Jesus. Some of you are thinking, he just say God doesn't care if I'm good enough. Yes. I did. So I just want to, I just want to say a few things. Three things. And I want you, I want you to receive this with grateful hearts. Number one. God, and this might be the first time anybody's ever told you this. I don't know. I hope Lyle said it a whole bunch. I imagine Lyle's probably said it. God is not waiting for you to be good enough. Let that sink in. You do not have to be good enough for God. Just let that weight just cascade off your shoulders. Jesus is already good enough. Number two, God is not waiting for you to impress him. The world might be, you might feel like like your Instagram feed has to impress everybody. You might feel like your life has to impress everybody. You might feel like your list of achievements has to impress everybody. You might feel, it might be as simple as you feel like when you invite people over for dinner, your meal has to impress everybody or the cleanliness of your house has to impress everybody. God is not waiting for you to impress him. And your significance in his kingdom is not built on your ability to perform. Number three, God is not waiting for you to prove yourself. In other words, God is not sitting there withholding judgment until he sees how you're going to shape up. Well, I don't know about this coat. No. Look, Jesus has proven himself. And when God looks at your life, if you're in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, God is not using his yardstick to measure your life. He's thrown that out a long time ago. God has already given up on you being good enough, okay? But Jesus Christ, is enough for God. And if you'll place your faith in Him, it's good enough for Him to invite you in. Because you're His. And you know, here's the beautiful thing about that. Because I know, like it leaves us thinking, well, golly, I mean, am I that empty? <laughs> Just, Jesus, here's God's commitment. He's going to make you just like Jesus. He says, look, you're not gonna you're not gonna measure up, but you know what? I'm gonna make you exactly who Jesus would be if he were you. I'm gonna make you the perfect, the perfect reflection of the glory of Jesus Christ. So please, 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 as we wrap up the service, just just commit that this week. Just this week, when you catch yourself on that roller coaster, you're going to just hop off of it. Kind of like Waylon Jennings, stop the world and let me, y'all. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, I am not taking this ride. I'm not riding the roller coaster 
this time. And you know how you do that? And this is it. Confess. Say to God, God, I'm riding this roller coaster with this question, do I matter or not? Why, Lord, do I love success more than you? God, why do I love being seen as good more than you? Why do I love Kentucky basketball more than you? Confess. And Jesus Christ will come and he will make you like himself. That's his promise. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use your gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ, to shape every one of us into his likeness. And if there is anyone in the sound of my voice who has not trusted Jesus for their identity, their forgiveness, their significance, and I pray, God, that you would win their hearts by the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Amen.